Good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at the Village. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, we're continuing in a series we're calling Jesus is the One. And if you're a guest with us, we've been in this series for a little while. We're going to stay in it for a long while as we're in the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we're going to talk about the reality that Jesus is the one who resisted temptation. Jesus is the one, the only one, who perfectly resisted temptation. Now, um, when I was a young man, when I was actually a young pastor, I had another pastor friend of mine that would say this phrase all the time. And you may have heard me use it before. I've, I've used it in jest, and I think I've used it here, and I may have even used it from this stage. But the phrase is this. He used to say all the time, you know, I can resist anything but temptation. I can resist anything but temptation. So it was usually like a piece of pie that was set in front of him, and he's like, hey, I can resist anything but temptation, right? And what I didn't know then, or what I didn't think about then, that I do think about and know now is this, that, that oftentimes we, as people, use humor to deflect things. We use humor to laugh away hard truths. And the hard truth for us as human beings is that this is true, the hard truth is that this is true, that we can resist anything, well, but except temptation. And the Bible says that this is the hard truth about us. The Bible tells us that ever since the Garden of Eden, when our first parents gave in to that first temptation, from that time till this time, in our natural state, we can resist anything, well, just short of temptation. We give in all the time. We give in all the time, and, and Jesus would later say it this way. John records it in John chapter 8, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you're given to sin, it's because you're a slave to sin. You can't help yourself. You're going to do it. And the precursor to sin is temptation. So if we are slaves to sin in our natural state, we are also slaves to temptation. We're going to face it and we're going to give into it. It is going to be our default response. The default for human beings is to say yes to temptation. That's why we struggle against it. That's why we tell each other, oh, I'm, I'm wrestling with this temptation. Or I'm struggling against this temptation. It doesn't come naturally not to give into it. What comes naturally is just to give and do it every single time. And so the question this morning is, what do, what do we do about that? What do we do about this reality that we just naturally say, yes, we give into temptation all the time? Because, because we need to do something about it, don't we? Because if you're tempted and you are, and you give into temptation and you do, and seemingly all the time, you know that temptation leads to sin, which is devastating to your relationship with God. And it's devastating to your relationship with yourself, the way you view yourself, what you think about yourself instead of what God thinks about you. And it's devastating to your relationship with other people. It breaks all kinds of things in your relationship to other people. So what do we, what do, we do about this? Well, as with everything, as Christians, we can learn something about this from looking at Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who always... Listen to me, always and only resist the temptation. Jesus knows something about what it means to resist temptation. He knows how to do this. And so we're going to learn something from him this morning in his most recorded temptation we have in the Bible. Jesus was tempted all the time. Jesus lived a completely sinless life, was tempted his entire life. But this is the one temptation of Jesus that we have recorded in most detail in the Bible. 
and starts in verse 1 of chapter 4 where it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. The first thing we're going to see this morning is Jesus is the one who resisted temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit, well, just like us. Jesus is the one who resisted temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like us. See, as Christians, we believe that Jesus was fully man, but we also believe that Jesus was fully God. And if Jesus was fully God, but yet fully man, he lived his life as a man, facing the things he did as a man, in all the ways that we do, with the same resource that we do. That he faced temptation in the same way that we do. And right now, speaking of temptation, we're talking about temptation. I'm sure there's a temptation in your mind right now. Maybe the enemy, maybe the devil is even whispering to you right now, there's no way, there's no way. What he said, there's no way. That guy just said that Jesus encountered temptation and resisted temptation the same way that you do, but, but that can't be true. It can't be true, there's no way. He can't really relate to you. He doesn't really know what you're going through. He never faced that temptation. He was never put in your circumstance. He never walked in your shoes that way. Matter of fact, Jesus, if he's fully man and he's fully God, could have just snapped his fingers at any moment in any temptation and just like brought his divine attributes to, to bear and just, 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 it's not the same as me and you. That heresy was debunked a long time ago. It's called docetism. We study it in Apprentice Academy. And it's this heresy that says that Jesus only seemed to be fully human. It only seemed like Jesus was fully man, but the Bible tells us in many places that Jesus was fully man. Philippians 2 was a great spot, but the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. So he might live a sinless life on behalf of us to make propitiation for the sins of the people. If Jesus never lived a life in every respect like you and I, tempted by sin, and then went to the cross, he would not be the sinless, perfect Savior substitute for us. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, interesting the author of Hebrews talks about it in these terms, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's me and you. I just want to pause for a moment and say, the temptation of Jesus was real human temptation. That Jesus resisted human temptations like the ones you face as a human being. The question is, well, how did he do this? Well, Luke tells us. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. Jesus resisted the temptation from the devil because he was constantly full of the Holy Spirit. And because he was constantly full of the Holy Spirit, he was continually led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus resisted temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I do. When you and I resist temptation, it's because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit of God. And he protects us and he keeps us and he directs us. I just want to say, if we try to resist temptation in our own power, in our own strength, outside of relying on the Holy Spirit, we are in trouble because the brutal reality, the hard truth is, we can truly resist anything but temptation. Like, we're going to give in if we're not resisting temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You're like, well, how, how do I do that? How am I filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're not a, yet a Christian, you might be wondering, what is, like the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? The Christians believe God exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that when we profess faith in Jesus, we are filled with the Spirit of God. That this is the thing that changes us. That if, you know, if you're not yet a Christian and you know a Christian, the only reason they act like a Christian is because the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible teaches us, indwells them and empowers them to live the Christian life. That's the reason. And so if you're not yet a Christian, I want to say this is where it would begin for you, that when we profess faith in Jesus, we are filled with the Spirit of Jesus. The very first time in the Bible, matter of fact, a guy like me got in front of people like this and opened the Bible and started preaching a sermon, the very first time that that happened after Jesus' resurrection was when this guy named Peter, the Apostle Peter, was preaching a sermon to a bunch of actually religious people, and he said, to them after they said, well, what do we do? What do we do about this fact that, yeah, we constantly give into the temptation just to rely on our religiosity, to rely on our religious upbringing to save us? What do we do about that? We're tempted toward that all the time. And Peter said, repent, that means turn away from your sin, and be baptized as a sign that you have turned away from your sin. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, he says, and you will, and you will receive the Holy Spirit the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it is a gift. For the promise, this promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off. That includes people like you and I, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And if you're not yet a Christian and you sense Jesus calling you to himself today, step one is to acknowledge that you're a sinner who needs forgiveness for your sin, that you always give into temptation. And I'm just saying, Christians are pretty good at this too. Jesus offers us a solution to this, and we'll talk about it in a few minutes. But if you're not yet a Christian, this explains why you see people become Christians and you see this dramatic change in their life. This explains it. This is not a farce. It's not a, a little fix. It's not just sort of some kind of superstition. The, the, the Holy Spirit of God comes and in, indwells in, in a person's life. This is why you may have known a person that's addicted to some kind of substance, drugs, alcohol. They're in it all the time. They, they can't get free from it. They profess faith in Christ. They come to Jesus. They're baptized. And boom, they don't even go to rehab. They're just done. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life, giving them the power to resist temptation. Or the person that was bouncing from relationship to relationship all over the place. This person's a player. They're all over the field. They're playing the field all over the place. And then that person changes in an instant. They commit, committed to Jesus, committed to a person, and then they commit to that one person for a long time. Their life is radically changed. It's because the Holy Spirit is present in their life. Or a person that was doubting, and now they have faith and belief. They trust Jesus for everything. They don't doubt anymore. They, they, they trust him on, on all fronts and occasions. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit giving a skeptic actually real, genuine faith. And it's why you've seen people that are religious that just go through religious motions and duties, but nothing changes with their life. It's the person that you know that went to church and did all the religious things, but they kind of professed heaven but live like hell between Sundays. And yet there's a time when they come to faith in Jesus and everything radically changes. This is the reason. Because they're filled with the Spirit of God and they're radically changed. And now they're not in their natural state anymore. They're in a supernatural state. That, that something supernatural has happened in them. But God, the Holy Spirit, indwells them and empowers them to resist temptation. You might say, well, yeah, Matt, but, I mean, even though these people are eventually, are initially filled with the Holy Spirit, in, in my experience, they eventually, even me, I eventually, or maybe even quickly, 
kind of just squash the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Like people fall back into patterns of sin. People continue to sin. And the truth of the matter is yes. Yeah. Yeah, that as Christians, we are not identified by our sin anymore. We are saints who struggle with sin. We are not sinners any longer who struggle to be saintly. Do you get this? Can someone say amen to that? Yeah, whenever the New Testament talks about us as Christians, it always addresses us as saints. Yes, we do struggle with sin. But that's not how we identif are identified anymore. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Paul tells us don't do that. He told the Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit lives in your life. Don't grieve him through disobedience. It literally means to make him sad. Don't make God sad in the way that you're acting, living in disobedience. And we can grieve, we can grieve the Holy Spirit so many times that we end up doing something the Bible calls quenching the Holy Spirit. Paul told the church in Thessalonica, don't quench the Holy Spirit of God. It literally means to extinguish or put out. It's like this person's fired up. They're, the Holy Spirit's at work in their life. All this change is happening, but then they just fall back into sin. It's like a wet blanket on the fire of God that's present in their life. And I said, well, how do we get out of that? How do we get out of like, okay, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're kind of still given to sin, and, and we, we sin. Like, how, how do we change this? We get out of this pattern. And I would say this morning, the same thing that initially filled us is the thing that continues to fill us. That as Christians this morning, I, I don't really have any silver bullet to give you. What I do have to give you is, is this reality that the same way we come to faith as Christians is the same way that we continue to walk in our faith as Christians. We come to faith through faith and repentance and walking in obedience. And that's the same way we continue in our walk with God. If we feel stuck for some reason, in some sin. We can repent again this morning. We've been giving in to temptation. We repent again like we did at the beginning. And we acknowledge our faith in Jesus like we did at the beginning. And we begin to walk in repentance as we did in the beginning. Paul says it this way, I say to you, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you continue to walk in the Spirit through repentance and confession, through walking obedience to Christ, you won't give in to those temptations. If we live in the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is actually a very orderly process, a very orderly kind of life. You might say, well, how do I do that? You guys have heard me say this a hundred times if you're part of the Village Church, and I guess this is 101. <laughs> we do this through being in God's Word. We do this through spending time with the Lord in prayer. We do this through being with other believers. We do this through then being in that circumstance, then that temptation comes and making the decisions in light of those things. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that inspired the Word of God to be written. And so when you read in the reading plan this week, you read in the Word of God, and this week you actually read about Joseph running away from Potiphar's wife. A young man fleeing from a mature woman who was pressing herself on him, and he literally runs away without his clothes because he wants to get away from the temptation. See, when we read the Word of God, it informs our life and our decisions. And it was probably a really good thing that we read that story this week, and then we're here talking about temptation this morning. The Spirit inspires the Word to be written and so the Spirit uses the Word of God to help you face temptation. The Spirit also speaks through prayer. And so he uses prayer to help you kind of work through temptation. What, if I follow this out and I go to its logical end, where does it lead? God speaks to you through the Holy Spirit, through prayer. God speaks to us through other believers. Other believers are filled with the Holy Spirit of God like we are. And they have discernment about what's going on. 
if something is off in my life, if I'm giving, if I'm giving to some temptation, however great or small, you know the, the first person who knows? <laughs> my wife. She's got intuition. She can see those things. What's going on with you? What's up? It's because we know each other and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. And so as we're in fellowship with each other, the people in your community group, if something's off with you, they're going to know. And that's a really good thing because it helps us to kind of deal with the things in our lives and it helps us to end up resisting those temptations in a little different way. I want to um, just say a little side note here that um, for the Christian, um, the person that's filled with the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, I just want to say oftentimes your greatest temptation will come after sort of a, your greatest moment with God. Like you're going you're gonna to receive your greatest temptation, the most acute temptation, after this incredible moment with God. We see this in the book of Luke as Jesus is coming out of his baptism and there's this incredible moment where the Holy Spirit descends and a voice from heaven's like, this is my son, I'm pleased with this guy, listen to him. Then he's thrown into the wilderness and he's tempted in this way, in this extreme way. And the same will be true for each of you. You know, candidly, I, you know, Tommy's on a youth retreat right now with all the youth, youth group kids. And I tell the staff things like this. Hey, um, after a great retreat with the youth group kids, um, don't, come o- don't come home and debrief it with your girlfriend on a couch in a dark room. Just don't, that's not, that was like a funny joke. I thought that one was landing. I thought that one was landing. But the same is true, like, if you're a young man and you, you sign up for the men's Bible study and you're, like, all fired up about what you learned there, and then, like, you go, like, hey, let's meet up at this place. And it's, like, where? It's, like, oh, it's this hill. It's just, like, up top and there's no one there and we can be in the car by ourselves and we can debrief the Bible study. Like, that's not going to work for you, okay? You're kicking yourself in the shin. So don't do that. But, 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 but the reality is it's going to come after times like that. And all kidding aside, this is what the enemy does. Jesus said in John 10 that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He wants to rob you. When you have this incredible moment with God, he wants to take it away. He wants to rob you. And in Revelation, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He wants to accuse you. He wants to say to you, see, what kind of Christian are you? You have this incredible moment with God and then you do this? (laughs) You're pathetic. You're never going to beat this. You're, it's always going to be this way. It might happen this morning. You might have this incredible morning. You might say, oh, man, I, I love the music and the worship. I was just so engaged. I needed that. I needed just to praise God with his people. I needed to hear about temptation this morning. I've been wrestling with this or that, and so here I am. And you have this great morning. You're, you're meeting with people you might pray with or over someone. Your kids are well-behaved, you know. And then you go and you get in the car, and like all hell breaks loose. And he just robs it from you before you even leave the parking lot. Or you have a quiet time in the morning, and it just seems so good, you know. And then your kids come down, and something sets you off, and it's just, you just, he robs you of everything that just happened there. The temptation comes, or it's an outreach opportunity, and you go, and you're engaged in this thing, and then you come home, and then something goes wrong at home, and you give into a temptation to act in a disobedient, ungodly way, or like all these kids are on a retreat and they're going to come home and they are in this beautiful place and they're learning these great truths and they're going to come home having this great time with God and they're in junior high and they don't know this truth. So if you're one of the parents, tell them when they get home that what's going to happen is tonight or tomorrow when they go to school, that's when it's going to come. He's going to bring the temptation right after this incredible moment with God. Does this make sense? Have you experienced this? 
Well, listen, being filled with the Spirit of God is incredibly empowering as we face temptation. But being filled with the Spirit doesn't save us from being tempted, even though it doesn't equip us to avoid or combat temptation. And the second thing we learned this morning here is that Jesus is the one who was filled with the Holy Spirit, yet tempted by another spirit just like us. See, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit in a more consistent way than any of us ever will, than any person in the history of the world. And yet, and yet even he had to face temptation by another spirit, the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And for those 40 days, Jesus was tempted in many ways. And ultimately in life, Jesus was tempted in every way. The author of Hebrews again says it this way. We don't have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect. The Bible says that actually all of us are tempted in all kinds of ways. Paul wrote to the Corinthians no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. Look, everyone's dealing with this. Every human being, including Jesus, are tempted in these ways that are common to man. And if you know something about the Bible, you know that the kind of three categories are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We see it in the beginning of the garden where Eve sees it. And it says it was good for food. It was delightful to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise. We see it near the end of the Bible, Genesis being in the beginning. We see it near the end of the Bible in 1 John from Jesus' best friend, best earthly friend. When he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. These are three broad categories that everyone seems to be tempted by. And we're going to see this morning that Jesus was tempted in all of these ways as well. I have a little bit different language for it this morning, but the first one we're going to see is this, that Jesus was tempted to create his own provision outside of God's plan. Well, and that's just, like, that's just like us. That's just like you and I do. Jesus was tempted to create his own provision outside of God's plan. We see in verses 2 to 4 where it says, For 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those 40 days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Yeah. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So Jesus is led into the wilderness to fast. He's led by the spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Nothing tells us that Jesus knows he's going to be there for exactly 40 days. Jesus is going into the wilderness. He's going to fast. He ends up being there 40 days. This reminds us of the 40 years that the children of Israel were in the desert, when they were in the wilderness. But Jesus is relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit now for 40 days, and he's really hungry. <laughs> he's really hungry. Um, I don't know what your longest fast is. Mine's a few days, a little bit less than a week. Um, 40 days sounds like a long time. He was really hungry, and also he really could have turned this stone into bread. He really could have done this thing. This was a real temptation. But again, this temptation, I believe, reminds us of the 40 years in the desert where God's people weren't content with God's provision for them. Think Deuteronomy chapter 8. They weren't content with God's provision for them in the wilderness. They were grumbling. They were complaining. They were saying, I want to go back to Egypt. I want a different kind of provision, God, than you're giving to me 
even though God had supernaturally provided for them through the manna and all the quail and all the things, even though God supernaturally provided for them, they were discontent with God's provision. And in in this, Jesus was tempted to create his own provision outside the will of God, but he resisted that. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. He had not yet eaten. He knew the Spirit had led him to fast. There was not yet provision for food, so his fast continued. And for him, the temptation would be, I'm done with this. I'm hungry. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I get hangry after a couple hours. Do you? Like if, like if I missed lunch, I'm like irritated. Like what, and Dina's like, what is wrong? And I'm like, I just, I need food. You know, I'm just, ugh, I want food. I already, I'm not even hypoglycemic, I don't think, or anything like that. I just, I just want food. Could you imagine 40 days? Jesus is hungry. He's a human being. And he's tempted to just say, like, I know I could just do it, but... Jesus resisted this temptation to complain and to grumble about God's provision. And he resisted the temptation to use his own ability to just provide for himself the things that he wanted in that moment. It feels like the lust of the flesh, like in the garden, right? Like, this is good for food. I'm hungry. I need food. This is going to feel good. I'm just going to do this right now. The question is, what about us? I mean, I, maybe it doesn't take long for you to make the connection that we're often tempted to grumble and complain about the way that God provides for us. The kind of financial provision we have in particular or the kind of relationships that we have or the kind of job that we have or the kind of home that we live in or the kind of place that we live or the kind of things that we get to do or not or whatever it is that's the provision. This is, I think, is focused on this actual food, the resources that we need as people we're tempted to complain about these, to grumble about these things in the moment. I think we're tempted to like just, just take that into our own hands. I think in Orange County in 2024, we call that a side hustle, right? We call this a side hustle. We're, we're tempted to just go like, just we need something. And the reality is there is a tension here, is there not? Because as a side hustle, some of you laugh, most of you just moaned, but that's because you have one. You just don't want to admit it, right? You just, you know what it is, or you know the one that you want, or you know the one that you think you need, because living in Orange County in 2024 is hard. And there is this tension here between, well, underworking and overworking, hardly working and always working. And, and, and I, I understand this as you do. Jesus resists this temptation Sometimes a side hustle or working two jobs is what you have to do in the time. It's what God uses to provide for you. There is this tension. But there are other times we just run into things because, well, we're just not content. We're grumbling. We don't like our state. We don't like where we're in. I, I, I get it as much as you do. And Jesus resists this temptation. It reminds me of Hebrews 13, 5, where it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's a good one, isn't it? For he has said, this is really reassuring, I will never leave you or forsake you. There's a second common to man temptation that Jesus faced, and it was that Jesus was tempted to get power outside of God's plan, just like us. I think this is the, the, the lust of the eyes. Jesus is on top of the, hill, uh, the pinnacle. He sees it. He's offered it. It's, you know, you say you see it, you want it, I got to have it. But Jesus was tempted to get power outside of God's plan, just like us. If Satan couldn't tempt Jesus one way, he would tempt him another way. If he can't tempt us one way, he's going to try to kind of tempt us another way. This is what he does with Jesus. We see starting in verse 5 where it says, 
And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to them, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I want. I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, I want to pause for a moment and say this is a real temptation. Like what, Jesus, what, what Satan is offering is real. And, I, and I, don't, I don't know if we all we always get this, but there's three times where Jesus himself refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. That there's some sort of subordinate authority. There's some kind of authority that Satan has over the world. Paul calls him the God of this world. There's some kind of, some kind of lesser authority that he has, but it's authority nonetheless. And the temptation here for Jesus was to gain power, to gain authority, to gain influence with all of the peoples of the world, just not according to God's plan, not on God's path, not, not gaining those things God's way. The temptation was to gain this without humility, to gain all of this without service, to gain all of this without sacrifice, without humility, without humbling himself eventually to the point of death on the cross. Without service, Jesus said, I've come not to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and give my life as ransom for many. This was the opportunity for him not to have to serve to get the influence and the power and the authority. Without the sacrifice, without humbling himself, living a sinless life, going to the cross, dying a substitutionary death, without the, without the hard road of Gethsemane and Calvary, this was the temptation. It was the temptation of power, authority, influence, and loyalty without the cross. But Jesus knew that giving into this was ultimately idolatry because it would require him to acknowledge the limited authority of Satan over the world instead of staying focused on the ultimate authority of God over the world. I think the logical question is, well, what about us? And maybe it's not too hard for you to make the connection either that, that we get tempted with this all the time in our homes, especially as fathers, as we lead our home, we want power, we want authority, we want influence, we want, we want to be able to lead, we, we want to, in your, in your work, this can even happen in the life of the church. Like this happens all over. We, we, we want these things, sometimes just not in the way, the healthy way that God ordains for these things to be had. When we get influenced by the power brokers of this world, Instead of being influenced by the one who ultimately is over everything in the world and ultimately gaining any influence, any authority, any loyalty, any of these things through humility and through service and through things like sacrifice. I mean, the power brokers of this world are obvious. I mean, money, right? Mammon. Like, money is the currency of the world. Like, money is the power broker. Like, chasing money and trying to gain money, especially in unethical ways, like, this, this is a temptation that people have. This is a temptation that Christians face. To give in to the power brokers that be. Money is a huge one. Finance. Politics. In our world, politicians are the power brokers. They control things. And the Bible says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But I got to tell you, those principalities are over, and powers are over people. And they actually work in and through people too. There is another spirit, and it works that way. 
And even Christians can be tempted to, to just to bow the knee to politicians and are certain politicians, the power brokers of this day. We can bow the knee to identity, politics, and culture. And right now, it's, it's so, like, you know, accepted to, to focus on certain things about identity and to gain power and influence and authority over other people's life because, well, the color of our skin is a certain way or our orientation is a certain way or kind of the way we approach something is a certain way or the way we think about something is a certain way. And in our culture right now, that gives you more power. It gives you more authority. It gives you more influence. And it would be so easy to give in to the temptation to do that. And you know what? Lots of Christians are doing it. Or social media, not that it's a bad thing in and of itself, but I can't tell you, I mean, I know like Christian social media influencers, like I know these people and I, I watch some of their life and then I look at the Instagram feeds and I'm just like, I just, I can't put two and two together because it makes it look like everything's perfect and all Jesus wants for you is to be wealthy, to have all the best experiences, to do all of the best things. It's so easy to bow the knee to the power brokers. This is the power broker of our day. Instead of trusting Jesus through humility and through service and through sacrifice, when we give in to the temptations of committing idolatry by acknowledging these things, by giving ourselves over to money or politics and politicians or identity kinds of things or social media or whatever the power brokers that be are right now, we give ourselves over to them and it takes our eyes off the ultimate authority of God over the world. Peter, another one of Jesus' best friends, said it this way, humble yourselves, therefore. Reminds me of his words, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And, and I might add, through the proper means, humble yourselves. Casting on all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I got, I got to tell you, it can create anxiety to see everyone else bowing the knee to everything else in culture and getting it. Christians don't do that. Because Jesus doesn't do this. There's a third and a final temptation Jesus faces. And it's this, that Jesus was tempted to presume on God's intervention outside of God's plan. And we do that all the time, just like us. Jesus was tempted to presume on God's intervention outside of God's plan, just like us. And if there's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, I think this is the boastful pride of life. I think it's like, hey, I can do whatever I want and just ask God to bless it and it's going to be good. It starts in verse 9 where it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, Listen, if you're the son of God, and he is, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So now, um, since Jesus is resisting the temptation with Scripture, two times he's like, nope, it's written, nope, it's written. Satan's like, oh, Satan's a pretty smart guy, by the way. Um, so that's not working. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to use the Bible. Jesus likes the Bible. So I'm actually going to use the Bible now in my temptation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tempt Jesus to presume on God, but I'm going to use God's word. Matter of fact, Psalm 91 seems like a good one because it's all about the way that that God will help people with angelic beings. He will, he will help with angels, the people who are righteous, who put their hope in or their trust in him. And Jesus puts his hope and his trust in him. And so I'm gonna use this scripture in this circumstance. And this is a very sly and a very subtle form of temptation. Satan likely takes him to the roof of the, the royal portico 
It's overlooking the Kidron Valley. I don't know if you like heights. I don't particularly like heights, although I've done a lot of this. It kind of does make me nervous when I look down. But if you look down from where Jesus was, it's a 450-foot drop. It's a long way down. So he takes him up there and he shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he uses this scripture to encourage him to jump off. After showing him all the kingdoms and saying, these could all be yours. Jesus resisted that. He's saying, great. Then just, I'm going to show you all this stuff. Jump off. And then now... God will save you through some angelic means. But Jesus knew something very important about Scripture that allowed him, I believe, to resist this. Probably many things. But he knew that, that Scripture is living and it's active. And God uses specific Scriptures with specific people for specific circumstances in their life. And we can't just, like, grab a Scripture and just, like, claim that one as our own or for any circumstance in our life. Matter of fact, Jesus would later say things like, I only say the Father the things the Father tells me to say. I only do the things that the Father tells me to do. Even Jesus wasn't claiming everything for himself. And Jesus knows that for this situation and in this circumstance, with this scripture, it would be presuming on God. It would not be faith in God. It would be presumption for Jesus to jump off throw himself down toward the Kidron Valley and wait for the angels so he wouldn't dash his foot against a stone. The question again is what about us? And again, I think this is a very sly and a very subtle one and apparently extremely effective because you know what I think? I think we do this all the time. I think we do this all the time. And I think the reason this temptation works often and it's probably the last one that Satan brings to Jesus and it might be the last one he brings to us because it works. I mean, this is good. Satan knows what he's doing. He's been doing this a long time. This is good stuff. Using the Bible to test God's people to presume on God rather than to walk by faith. I've used this example again and I'm going to use it this morning because it's a good one and I like it. So, and I have the microphone. So here we go. So... Uh, over the course of the life of this church, I've told you that, like, people have wanted to move away from Orange County for all kinds of reasons. And so I think probably 95% of the time when, when someone's reading Abraham's account of, like, leaving the, the, the place of his family and, like, moving to a land he does not know, which typically means Tennessee, Texas, or Idaho, <laughs> I think 95% of the time that is the devil, Okay. 95% of the time, that is the devil, all right? Can I say it a third time? 95% of the time, I think, this is my opinion, I think that's the devil. But I would be open to say 5% of the time, that might, be, that might be the Spirit of God. That might be the Spirit of God using your normal quiet time when you open up to that passage and you find yourself there to speak to you, to be like, yeah, I probably should go to this place. And we've been through this before. There's two ways that this happens. And I've been through this again a hundred times. Maybe this is 101, and maybe, maybe at 101 we'll all, we'll all believe it a little bit more. But I, I, I think that we can, we can go to these things, and we can go to God's word and hear from him. We can go to prayer. We can go to other believers, like in our community group and our family, that we can ask them about things in our life. We're, we're deciding to make big decisions, and we can evaluate our circumstances in light of those things. But it's just as easy to look at the circumstances that are going on around you and make a decision you want to make outside of anything you've heard from God. And then the second thing you do is you go to other Christians that you know will be sympathetic to you and you tell them your sob story and they're like, oh yeah, you should do that. You should go there. Tennessee's great. And then after that, you pray and then you hear, you know, you hear what you want in prayer. 
And then after you hear what you want in prayer, you go find a verse. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's that one about Abraham. Let me look that up in Genesis. And then you, you, you sort of reverse engineer yourself into what you wanted to do in the first place. You presume on God that he's in it. I think we do this all the time. Because it feels, the elements of it feel so familiar. But when we do this, and let me just say, like, I know I've done this. And I'm looking at you, and you probably know you've done the same thing. When we do this, we are presuming on God. Now, God is really good. And God can forgive any sin, and God can work through any of it, and, and God can redeem it, and God can use it. Because he's good and he's big. It's just better to be on one side of that page than the other. Reminds me of what James says. Someone else who was, well, he was pretty close to Jesus. <laughs> Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this place in town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? It's like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. As it is, your boast is your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. This is the boastful pride of life. Just deciding we're going to do something and then be like, you're, you're in this, right, Jesus? And just presuming on him in it all. All right. Happy stuff? Good times, everyone? Yeah? All right. There's actually really, some really good news here at the end of all this, is that there are three things really quickly that we can learn about our temptations, because we're going to face all of these same three. I mean, if it was there in the garden, and it's there at the end in 1 John, and if Jesus is tempted with the same three things, like, why, why would we be so arrogant to think that these things aren't coming our way? They are coming our way. They have come our way, they are coming our way, and they will. So here's three things quickly as we end. First thing is resisting temptation begins with the filling of the Spirit. Resisting a temptation begins with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so for you this morning, if you're caught up in a temptation and you're a Christian, you need to confess it. I would do it right now. I would confess it to him. I would think about who else you're going to confess it to. I would do that right now. I'm going to give you time in a moment to do that, but just do it right now. Don't, don't wait to do that. You can do that as I'm talking. God hears both of us. He hears billions of people all over the world. Do it right now. And repent of that thing in your heart before God. Acknowledge it. And ask him to fill you with his spirit to empower you to resist it the next time. Second thing, resisting temptation works when reciting scripture. Have you noticed this? Resisting temptation works when reciting scripture. Psalm 119 says, your word I have hidden or treasured up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Have you ever been in a temptation and a scripture comes to mind? You, you can't, you can't do that. You can't just give into a temptation when the word of God is just like throwing through your mind. I mean, you can, but you're likely not. Like, you're more likely not to do this when the scripture is in your mind. And so I'd say, Maybe memorize the three verses referenced this morning for these three categories of temptation, and I will send you an email this week to remind you if you're a village partner. In terms of provision, that you'd memorize Hebrews 13, 5. In terms of power, that you'd memorize 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7. In terms of presumption, that you'd memorize John 4, 13 to 16. And when you come to a temptation to presume on God, you're like, no, wait a minute, James 4 says this. Come now, you who say today tomorrow will go such as this place, buy and sell. You're going you're gonna to go with that, and you're going you're gonna to let the scriptures wash over you and enter into that. And lastly, I'd say this, that resisting the devil causes the devil to retreat when you're tempted. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you recognize that this is what happened to Jesus? That Jesus resists the devil. Jesus resists the devil. The devil changes his tactic. Jesus resisted him again, even that sly and subtle one. And the devil's like, I'm out. And that's what the Bible says. That when we resist the devil, he flees from us. Some of us aren't even putting up any resistance. 
but when we give resistance, the devil will flee. He's a coward. He's a smart coward. He's a sly, he's a cunning coward, but he is a coward. And when you resist him, he will flee from you because the spirit that lives within you is greater than the spirit that lives within the world. He is no match for the spirit of God that indwells you. This ends with verse 13 where it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed until a more opportune time. He's going to come back. It's kind of like an algorithm on your phone. You know, like I wanted to get some like home, home gym stuff for Christmas and I started talking about it with people and lo and behold, what do you think showed up on my Instagram feed? Yeah. And the more you talk about it, the more it shows up. I'm telling you right now, the more you, um, the more you give yourself to sin, Satan's got algorithms. He'll just keep putting it. He's going to feed it. He's going to feed you what you want. He's just going to come lay it right in front of you. Oops. If you resist him, if you start resisting him, he's going to change. You know, the algorithm's going to change. He'll start serving you up something else. But eventually it's just going to go away. And your feed's just going to have all the stuff you want, the stuff you should be talking about anyway, right? God, his word, his people, the church, outreach, opportunities, service, humility, sacrifice. All that stuff starts showing up on your feed too. As we close our time um, together this morning, I just want to um, say, like, I'm, I'm keenly aware that some of us came in this morning, like, really, really struggling with a particular temptation. Like, you're saying, well, Matt, what do I do? Like, I'm just giving myself over to this all the time. Like, I just, like, literally, I'm, I'm just, and I know I'm not a slave to sin anymore because I'm in Christ. But I'm just saying yes to this, like, like every single time, almost every time. Like, what do I do? And so um, let me just direct you to 1 John. I know you know the verses, but I'm your pastor. I'm one of your pastors. I love you, and I want to remind you. Um, John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You're going to have to bring that thing into the light. And I know you know that. There's not going to be any freedom from this thing until you bring it into light with, with Jesus and with someone else. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. I know you know if you're a Christian this morning that you're giving into that every time, you're walking in darkness, but you know you're a Christian. So, so the fact that you're concerned about it tells me that you're not lying in the reality that you're a Christian, but something needs to change. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You're going to be in fellowship with other people. You're going to share this with someone in your men's accountability group or your women's accountability group through your journals. You're going to share this with someone in your community group. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If anyone comes to community group, it's like, yeah, I'm not really struggling with any temptation right now. <laughs> I can tell you that's not true. Because we all sin and temptation is where that begins. The good news this morning. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because the good news this morning is this, that Jesus resisted every temptation and paid for every sin so that we can resist any, every temptation and so that we can be free from all of our sin. So I just want to give you a moment right now to bow your head, bow your heart, please. I don't mean to tell you what to do, but this probably isn't a moment where anyone should be looking around because everyone is tempted, everyone's struggling with sin.
we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you take a moment to confess your sin to him? You know what it is. It's so obvious. Just, and he knows. And don't just tell him that you're doing it. He already knows that. I'm sure he appreciates it. I know he appreciates it. But would you, would you agree with him that it's sin? Would you just say, yeah, I agree with you. I know, I know. It is. This is sinful, giving into this temptation. Would you tell him you want to live differently? And would you ask him for the power of the Holy Spirit to help you with that? ask you to stand, but for now, I'll just ask you to continue to bow your heads and hearts. We're going to respond to these things in a few ways this morning. We're going to sing songs to Jesus, and please, if you've confessed your sin, he is faithful. He is just. He has forgiven your sin. He has cleansed you from all your unrighteousness, and so in a moment, I want to encourage you to sing loudly and from your, from your heart, not just your lips. You should be unashamed, boldly approaching the throne of grace. We're going to give to Jesus. He's already given to us so much. We're going, to, we're going to respond remembering Jesus through communion, his body that was given for us, his blood that was shed for us. Maybe this morning you take a little bit longer as you hold the elements to consider this. Jesus, we thank you that all of these things are true. They're true about you. That you have resisted every temptation. You have paid for every sin so that we can have the power of your Holy Spirit to resist temptation and be free from every sin. We thank you that we're forgiven, we're free. We sing to you now. We do it in your name, and we do it for your sake, Jesus. Amen.